0: Hello, everyone out there, and even if you're not, we're so glad to talk to you. Welcome to the the end-of-the-year recap of the podcast, The Cruelest Month. I'm Kelly Johnston doing the intro, but with me are the rest of the creators of said podcast. In no particular order, I have with me Mr. John Petrie, Mr. Matthew Klein, and Mr. Josh Wilson. Gentlemen, all welcome. Our two head writers, Matthew Klein and John Petrie, and our resident sound guru, Mr. Josh Wilson. Bonjour. Thank you. Gosh, Ooh. that was much better.
1: It was much better than the last one. <laughs>
2: <That was> much... <laughs>
0: Much better. Wait,
2: wait, wait. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. It's got to be a shalom. Shalom.
0: Hello, everybody. Shalom. All right. Okay. Mr. Petrie, how are you, sir?
3: Bonjour, ça va bien? Et vous?
0: Ah, ah très bien. Merci beaucoup.
3: <laughs> happy, um, uh, happy almost new year to everyone. It's good to see you all.
0: What was it you said, Josh? Happy married, married crisis?
3: Merry crisis.
0: Merry crisis. The very DC Comics reference of you. It oh, is. God. It is a very DC reference. Very. So here we are at the year's end, gents. And over the course of this year, we have put up, uh, we, we pivoted into a whole new podcast from, from uh, Don't Sue Us, Please into Cruellest Month. And we put up three different shows. We put up the main, the main channel content, as we call it, the, the, uh, the individual stories uh John's Comic Corner and Heidi and Nora don't know nerd things. Uh and this is our chance to look back over the year and bemoan what we got wrong and pat ourselves on the back for what we got right. Or really just well, to talk about the stuff that we did because like we like doing that.
2: I think what we definitely got right was the concept of Heidi and Nora don't know nerd things because they well, in got- fact do not know nerd
0: things. They do not know nerd things. That they know was- so much stuff but none of it is nerd related.
2: I'm um, telling you what, be- though,
0: we we are not misadvertising. There is no false
2: advertising with that I, that game show. To um, be
0: fair, Matthew, also, we have demonstrated you and I are not so great with nerd things either. Because every time John and Josh throw us on teams, we, we don't fare a lot better than the ladies do. Well, that's only because John purposefully goes out of his way to become a sphinx when
2: trying to give us clues. Now, if John just followed the original format <laughs> and gave us hints
0: in that manner, oh, as opposed to his Riddler-esque delivery, I see no reason to provoke him. I see no look, reason to provoke. Look, John
1: him. and I, John and I, for our topics, <laughs> pull from source material. That source material being health insurance contracts and how confusing things can be. <laughs> Ironically, and so if you would like, like us radio... to use more of the inspiration.
0: <laughs> Woo! Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about the year. Uh, let's talk about main channel stuff. And then, uh, although we, we did, you did break, break the seal on Heidi and Nora, Matthew. So, you know what? I'm going to change up right now and just, let's talk about Heidi and Nora for a second. What let's delights they are. What delights they are. Absolutely to have incredible.
2: Just Every like time me. it's they a good dive time. in, they dive in, and it's all in good fun, and we all just sort of have a blast. And I I'm trying to remember wh- who came up
0: with the original sort of concept here. How did that develop? Uh,
1: that would have been a, me.
0: Josh. Josh was the one who pitched that idea.
1: Uh I there 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 were not substances involved. This time. When, uh this time. Uh this time. As uh, it was sort of a, a confluence of events where we had an interview with Heidi for the question and she was like, we were talking about nerd things as one does when you make something that like, Based especially something like things, the question sure. or especially the old stuff that we used to make crazy right. nerdy stuff. She was just like, Oh yeah, I know nothing about nerd land. Um,
0: which is ironic considering that now she is actually officially part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
1: That she is. Uh, Makes me laugh even more. Um, But um, And then I think on the same day or a day later, I was on the phone with Nora and we were talking about something and she was like, I just don't know anything in the nerd world. And I don't know what light switch flicked on in my head. I think I was like watching a game show at some point like and it was just like, oh, here's a format. Um, <laughs> and, and what a
2: format it was.
1: It was yeah, <laughs> it was proposed and it was I am it just so sure glad that our participants well. are so willing and enjoy it.
2: And they're gonna get one. they're gonna get one It's gonna come happen. So they have closed this year. They
0: have come so shockingly close. Offensively close. Including snatching victory, snatching uh snatching the defeat from the jaws of victory. From the jaws of victory, yeah. That was that was unreal. That that was actually a very special moment for me. Um
3: yeah, and I'm, I think we also have to applaud the fact that um at least one of us has gone into other forms of nerddom, and we haven't just stayed within comic book, science fiction, fantasy. We've gone into theater stuff. We've gone into lit stuff. So we are casting expanding a wide our ner- a Expanding wide nerd our
0: nerddom. Uh, uh, pro wrestling. Uh, a wide nerd. Yeah, yeah. pro wrestling. That's true. Pro wrestling. Yeah. That's true.
3: No, we yeah, are. Right. Look,
1: nerddom is a large umbrella. Uh, you can be a nerd about, like, people are like, like, sports are not nerdy. Have you ever met somebody who's, like, really into, like, fantasy football?
0: Although I was going to say, yeah. like, like my brother, I, I was never really this guy, but like my brother could rattle off stats for like the 1964 Yankees. Right. And, the lineup. and, and I consider that to be like the height of nerddom. Like right. That, that really is sort of nutty nerdy. And so nerddom is really just ex- intense love of anything.
1: Have you ever seen the commercial? Uh, this this will be my point, And then I think we should start moving forward into other lands of things. Uh, yes. there's a there's an old fantasy football commercial I say old uh, probably a decade old. Um, it's with one of my favorite people Um, it is um, actually much more than I am theory. of course 12. Um, but it's only a uh,
0: third of Matthew's life.
1: Uh, but there was an old commercial with uh, Matt Mercer. It was like a TV commercial and like it was like, who's ready for some fantasy football and he comes in like in like full like, RPG, like LARPing clothes. Um, and they're like, I don't think you got the memo. He's like, I adapted the whole, like all of the NFL rules into like a fantasy LARP setting. He's like, it's surprisingly not as hard as you think it was. <laughs> um, That's a good and like, point. that was the, he was like, good I spent all night doing it way less than I thought it was going to be. Um, like, it's the same sort of idea where like anything is nerdy. And then it's just like, to me, I think the show has proved. Correct me if I'm wrong, gents. Um, the show has at least shown me that nerdiness is not necessarily a field; it's a depth. Yeah, like it's that's a true. how deep are you into this subject? Because anything is nerdy. Yeah, that's
0: what well, I, that's, I think. Yeah,
2: yeah, I th- I think to to the earlier point, like when when you get super involved in fandom of any kind, whether it's Comic books, sports, film, musical theater, um, pro wrestling for sure. Like there's once once you go into a specific fandom, and especially now where there is a community for every fandom out there in ways that there had never really been before, thanks to social media, that now everybody's a nerd about something, and that's really great. We're all nerds, just with our own specific ways of following including ner- uh, you know Heidi and Nora are absolutely nerds about something and one day we're going to figure out what that something is and they're going to get one right
1: speaking well, of nerddom let's about talk about some cows. some um some deep nerdiness topics starting with the civil war uh, ding, well,
0: ding, that's now, me. well now hang on here's my question we did we did seven episodes uh-huh. of, of main channel content. We are did, we going to yeah. try and take them in order or are we just going to jump around randomly?
1: We're going to try to take them in order. All There's right, going to be okay. an attempt.
0: All right. We're going to so inevitably then, fail, but that's so okay. Then,
1: this is your disclaimer, listeners.
0: Matthew, as the writer of the first episode that we aired, would you, would you grace us with the title? Sure.
2: So the, the Coward George Ads wrote uh, was episode one for the official launching of season one of April of the Cruelest Month. April's the Cruelest Month, of course, is our sort of uh, quote-unquote untold tales behind some of history's most significant events that happened in the month of April. Um, going all the way back to uh, last year when we were thinking about what our mission statement for 2021 in terms of content was going to be, and we decided to Uh, using the term that Kelly used, sort of pivot from uh, fan fiction into a whole different kind of fan fiction, quite frankly, which is historical fan fiction in a lot of ways. And uh, so we made a list. I think at the time when we started, there was like 37 events uh, that could be an episode each. And uh, as a Civil War nerd, um, and I wear that uh, with pride, I immediately left at the assassination of uh, Abraham Lincoln and uh, doing some research I actually wrote two episodes to cover that event one was about the doctor who treated him at Ford's theater um, and the other was about uh, George Adzerot who was one of the conspirators but one of the uh, less less infamous less famous less well known yeah, less, less hasn't well really had a outside. movie hasn't had a movie or a book made about him yet
1: the Madam Xanadu um, of the Civil War
2: kind of yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Um, not, not sure how I got that one, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's roll with it. So, what I ended up doing is I ended up combining those two episodes, uh, thanks to John and Kel, who were reading them, and sort of found this sort of uh, a story of what I hoped would be uh, a tale that translated even into what we were doing, which is a story of fundamentalism of someone gradually becoming more and more of a fundamentalist and escalating what they think they are willing to accomplish. And then at the end of the day, uh, coming to his senses uh, in in one small moment uh, that stops him from completely destroying the country even further, as George Adzerot was responsible for killing Andrew Johnson um, on the night that uh, Abraham Lincoln was killed and the Secretary of State was attempted assassinated as well.
1: Uh and, also um, uh for, for all of all of you listeners, holy dicks, there's gonna be spoilers everywhere.
0: Oh, sure, sure, uh, sure. Spoilers gore. Uh okay. All right, if I may, if you are listening to this and you have not listened to anything else we've done, I, I have no sympathy you yes, you get spoiled because we're talking about the gear. Go back and listen to the No, they don't get no, no apologies. They should have listened to stuff by now. If no. this is your
1: first time listening no. to us,
0: so no. Yeah, what the... I <laughs> you doing? So, So, Matthew, my question is, did Azeroth actually get that close to... Uh, like, I know it's fictional, the like the conversation with the bartender at the hotel, etc., but in terms of actual history, did Azeroth actually get that close to the possibility of killing Johnson?
2: Pretty, pretty close to what it was. You know, it, it's interesting, writing something... Uh, set in a real event it's it's you as a writer and I'm sure John will speak to this too there comes a point where where do you feel comfortable sort of letting go of what actually happened for the sake of drama versus what you want to try and be faithful to having actually occurred so in George Azarote he is in the hotel bar at the same time as president as vice president Johnston um Johnson sorry uh, one day Kel I take, one day. It, I take it as a compliment and go on in 2032 um, no but uh, never but uh, no in in the in real life um, Johnson actually just stayed in his room the entire night retired early but uh, Azeroth had did have the room directly above him and did go by his room multiple times and was debating if he could find johnson in the hotel bar or if he would have the courage to go up to that room and knock on the door officially so not quite as close as as in the audio drama but still pretty damn close okay um, all right in order to get there but it is very conceivable that john wilkes booth and lincoln's bodyguard were in the same bar during intermission of the play. That is actually somewhat historical fact. They were in that bar at the same time, whether or not they interacted, that is, uh, no one has confirmed or denied that
0: ever, but they were in I the mean, bar at the same time that night. Well, it makes for a fun scene, I'll say that. Um. Does. <laughs> so
3: I actually have a question for you, Matthew. Please. serious curious about. Um, did you have any other, did you have a specific way of telling the story or another part of the story that you, before you even started writing when you were letting it ruminate in your head, were you like, no, I, I, I'm i going to reject that and I'm going to go with these ones instead? Um, you know, I, I had thought of, I had thought
2: about telling it from Johnson's point of view. Um, sort of, you know, he's now, It's, it's one of those things of sort of, what would it be like to be hearing this is going on, um, discovering that a man was going to kill you and was in the same building as you the whole time? So I thought about you know writing something from Johnson's point of view, mm-hmm. um, but that was really the only other big idea that sort of didn't make it on there. I did I did uh, have one scene that I kind of loved from. One of the iterations that didn't make it, which was sort of the doctor trying to save him, and I thought there was something there, but it it just wasn't the story that I ended up uh, writing for everybody. So, um, but no, that was that was really the only other one. George, you know, it's funny when I started doing the research and I started looking at who George was. His story came to me very quickly, um, and that's how I knew I was on the right path. Like all the puzzle pieces started to sort of fall into place uh, for George thought- well, as the more I read about the the thwarted kidnapping, that February, his background. um, And it was just like, oh, there's this scene and this scene and this scene and this scene and put them all together. We have a show.
0: I thought that um, the contrast you made between uh, George and John or uh, for those that are. Yeah. Yeah. Booth and Booth and Azeroth um, was really interesting because, of course, John, John Wilkes Booth is infamous, and, and there's any number of stories or, you know, uh, pieces of uh, both historical uh, research as well as fiction about John Wilkes Booth, et cetera. And, and certainly he, he has sort of emerged as a larger-than-life, over-the-top persona. Um, and one thing that has sort of been taken for granted uh, in most of the writing that I've encountered about Booth, because I am also a Civil War nerd, is that, is that Booth was a true tried and true believer and, and really sort of was almost the, the, um, the guru for these people. He kept them whipped up and kept them focused even when things were falling apart. And what I thought was really interesting in the way you did, did this, Matthew, is to show John Wilkes Booth being vulnerable to his own doubts, as well as the group not necessarily feeling like he's up to snuff. And George Azeroth actually being a tried and true believer in what they're doing. And then over the course of that journey, Azeroth ends up questioning himself and not acting. And Booth gets emboldened and does. And that's very atypical to the way that's normally represented. So I thought that was really interesting. Well, and that's, that's the, that's the, that, that was what the dramatic
2: crux of the whole episode really became. It's about, it's about choosing your action. And sometimes your action is inaction. Um, It's deciding not to do something you've, you've originally thought you were going to go through and what difference that makes in human history. And then it's finding a strength to do something that you, you know, think you can do, but then don't think you can do and then do it. But But, uh, you know, it's but it's important. I always find it's it's very tricky when you're dealing with real uh, with people that really existed because history will write them as very especially people like Booth. They are tend to be written about in very absolute terms that they always they always had this belief, this almost psychotic pathological belief in what they were doing and that's just not interesting from a dramatic standpoint. You need a moment of doubt. You need a, mo- even if that moment of doubt is just alone in a room, you need to show a character questioning what it is they're doing. Because um, otherwise it there's just no arc to the character in a lot of ways. So I really wanted to show that with, with Booth. But also people forget John Wilkes Booth was the Tom Cruise of his time. He was renowned. He was very, very famous. Um, everybody when he walked into a room people knew who he was um and he lived off of that fame and he loved right. that fame
0: right and, uh, yeah
2: and he was from a very very famous well, family the,
0: yeah like the of, booth family was were renowned actors and in fact uh, edwin whose home mm-hmm. was in new york it's now the players club assuming the players yep. club still exists uh in gramercy park and uh i was there the library is still intact i was I was there at the house for an event and was in the library and they have a draft of the letter that Edwin wrote to, I forget which newspaper, but to the newspaper apologizing to the nation on behalf of like from his family, apologizing for his brother. And they have the original draft like under glass at the table so that it like it's, it's part of like the tabletop. And I was completely blown away to, you know, to, to see, that that letter. Um, it's,
2: it's that level of fame. And that's one of the reasons that people followed John Wilkes Booth to begin with, is he was a very, very famous person. And in that respect, there are, there are really interesting parallels, because this was written during the 2020 election. And if you don't see similarities yeah. um, and parallels between that script and what we were all feeling and going through in that time please listen again well and it was and recorded
1: so it, on January 7th of 2021
0: seven. yep and I remember hearing actually I remember when we did the reading which was just before the six yeah like the and fourth <laughs> we had we had a conference afterwards you uh, you me and uh, Matthew yeah. to discuss whether or not we needed to tone the rhetoric of it down Because it plays so incendiary, especially at that time. And then, you know, two days later, there's the uh, there's the uh, whatever the hell that was.
1: The Um, uh, the actors had inspiration, though, I guess. Like they really they really sent it. Like you got to really appreciate, especially the table read. Like I I know the table read is not a.
0: No, it was it was it was good. Interestingly enough, just as timely, although not as immediate, the next piece that we had, which was Survivors, which John actually was the primary writer for, um, also, I thought, popped in a very, like, it, 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 it was a period piece. Um, and, and Actually, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually turn the floor over to John to speak, since, since I turned the floor over to Matthew for uh, George Ezra. John, would you tell us about Survivors?
3: Uh, so, Survivors takes place in May of 1985 uh, during um, uh, a raid that the FBI did in Arkansas um, on a survivalist camp, and it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It has to do. <laughs> with... <laughs> That's uh, right. That's it has right. nothing to do with that uh, beyond a very tangential idea of what is surviving versus what is living. And it takes place in New York City, dealing with two uh, two men, one of whom is uh, dying of AIDS and com- contemplating uh, suicide. Yeah, a real upper of a piece.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, real real happy piece that. <laughs> like, fun, we, fun, we went, from, we, went beat from, beat. <laughs> we went from a
2: presidential assassination to. to... Uh, dying of age listen
0: it's called the cruelest and, and suicide, it's God, not it's not it it's is not,
1: uh... it is as an episode the only episode when it was proposed like when i read when i read the script and it was going through we were getting ready to record it it was the only script that i was okay with even the idea of it being as bare bones as it was like you have a guy in a kitchen for a second and a piano noodles at the end um and then there's like the
0: tv's on in the background
1: every now and yeah there's there's a little bit but i mean relative to like the earth will quake we'll get to um this has like i feel like i should post it to instagram at some point the comparison between the two sessions because this one is like You know, there's 10 channels of audio going on, like for the technical people, there's like 10 things, like 10 layers going on at once in Survivors. Like, that's cool. That's including the actors and all that jazz. But like Earthquake is 500. Like, yeah. And I think it's the only piece that we had at this time where I was like, I didn't even worry about it. I was like, yeah, especially after the recording session, because we did the table read and recording session in one go.
0: I remember, I was, as a matter of fact, uh, I can't, I don't think it was the recording session. I think it was just the table read, but uh, I was actually in Costa Rica this time last year when we did the table read with, uh, with our two actors, Michael and Anthony. Yeah. And um, I remember when we got done with that, Josh, that we let them go and you and I both were like, oh my God, like, yeah, it, it, it you know, holy crap. It, it is, it's all there with them right now.
1: Like, yeah.
0: Um, and that, that was the first time in terms of doing dialogue tracking that we actually were like, we're gonna record it all in one. I think you just said that. Yeah,
1: they recorded it all in one go. One like shot, we just, yeah. like normally for for those of you to break the immersion of how this is done normally, is there's a table read where everybody goes together and then we record everybody individually. Um and that just works for the way that we do things and our workflow, it is pristine the way that works out uh survivors was entirely different where um actually it was entirely different but it set up for the next episode which we'll get to in a second It set up the same kind of process but right. um where we i mean we did it how we do the, record this where all of us are in the same virtual room and we just let them go like all the the way you hear it is the way you hear it there were restraints to it but i was totally okay to sacrifice that for how Good, it was at telling its story. I guess is the way I would put it. Like it tells its story so well that I didn't have to move. Like the characters don't move around much, a little tiny bit, but they can't really be moved. When you record them together like that, they can't be moved virtually. At the time, at least, there was no good way to do it. Now, nowadays, Zoom has gotten better. But
0: now now I was going to say now, now that it's eleven months later, we've progressed. You know
1: zoom zoom can land a could land a rover on mars at this point but uh mr petrie please continue on your thing. i hijacked your i hijacked your moment
3: oh no i this is actually all the technical stuff that i don't know anything about that i i love hearing about um i almost want to say it was my attempt um at my dinner with andre and i don't think that that huh? is a particular um That's
0: i mean they do discuss eating at, at a certain point so well I they discuss a lot Well, not unlike My Dinner with Andre, they would actually discuss a lot of things, although I don't know, like different vibes. (laughs)
3: Yeah, oh, totally different vibe. Um, But yeah, this was, uh, actually, this was the most fully formed thing that went to you guys. Normally I do a draft or two on my own before I send it to to Matthew and Kelly to read and critique. Uh, This one pretty much went through There were not a whole lot of revisions from the beginning to the end. It
0: it was pretty solid from the get-go, John. As a matter of fact, I remember it was actually the first first script that we had locked and done. And there was not a ton, but there was debate over whether or not we were going to start with Survivors. And we opted not to because we felt like it was so intense that it was better to have it come second rather than first. But I remember it was the first script we had locked, done, like, you, you know... You didn't have any revisions or anything
3: yes and it also started my tradition of um asking you who you wanted to have doing the parts and then cyber stalking them to the best of my abilities with not having either a facebook account or an instagram account and just finding the actors in various impressive places impressive. I, you know what can i say i'd like to know the I, actors
0: would be clear be very happy to hear that you were able to find them even without uh even without, without google facebook. like you know without facebook etc twitter because that's uh that speaks speaks to their
3: presence there you go and i I, was-
2: I i personally think john i think survivors is one of my favorite things i've ever read of yours um i've i've known you for many years at this point and i've read a lot of your stuff um from your novels to your audio dramas to to other things as well and i just uh i i it seemed to come out of you fully formed. It felt like a piece that you've had in you for a very long time and that was just, it just came out. It, it just felt like an, an incredible, it was like the perfect timing. You were in the right place as a writer. It was really amazing and, and fun and, and a real privilege to get to be there at a moment like that in, in a writer's
3: uh, sort of journey. Well, thank you. I will then venue you the money for for that compliment, thank you. Uh, I, will,
1: I will say Survivors is my favorite audio drama ever. Like, regardless of if it was connected to us or not, I think, just to me, it was, it, it is written so incredibly well and then the actors really sell it. Like, the casting was phenomenal. And that it like, they, they really, there's two takes of like, there, there are two takes of the whole thing. Like we, we recorded the whole thing twice over twice. yeah And it's a, like the current version is a mix of the two takes. And I remember both of that. It was really difficult to choose between the two because like.
0: They, they each had their, str- there was nothing wrong with the first take. We took the second take just to have a backup and they were both solid in and of themselves and so right and outside
1: of like a technical glitch and like a pop or something like that yeah there were just times when like you know you have to go through a phrase and you have to pick one um and a lot of times with stuff we record it's pretty obvious which one you should take like um just that's the nature of performing like there's usually a good one and a okay one (laughs) um with this one it was just there are two great takes like yeah yeah
2: my, my big question to you, John, is sort of, you know, can you speak a little bit towards, you know, were these based on real people that you knew, these characters? or Because I understand there is there is some personal connection here.
3: Yes. So they were half named after Steve Trevor and Tom Tresser because of my love of Diana always. Wow. Uh, wow. wow. For wow. those of you who are comic book fans, you will get that. Um, if not... Together be listening to Heidi and Nora Don't Know Nerd Things to pick up.
0: (laughs) That's right. Um,
3: But the character of Tom was actually based on my friend Tom, who I talked to for a very long time when I first started writing this um, because he was in New York in 1985. And, um, and, And this was a conversation that I think Matthew, you and Kelly and I had when we were talking about revisions there's you know at that time there was one funeral home that would deal with people who died of HIV um so it was uh yeah so that the character of Tom was very much based on my friend Tom um and hopefully I did him proud but yeah that was that was um that was a really personal one. That was a, that was a, a, an incredibly easy and an incredibly hard um, script to write all at the same time. But we okay. should probably move on to something a little bit. Speaking lighter,
1: speaking of something super personal, John, burning down the cathedral at Notre Dame. Yeah. he
0: actually. Okay, Josh, you said that you said that Survivors was your favorite mm-hmm. audio drama. Mine is um, mine is fire in my heart. Is it really? Yeah. But, but, but most, I'm not going to lie mostly because it dances right up to the edge of like, it's, it's the darkest comedy that I have heard. Like the fact that we threw a laugh track into it delights me to no end because it, it, it works and it, it feels like it shouldn't and it does. And so I like, I happen to really love that about it. Um, I understand why you love Survivors and why I, I don't disagree sure. with any of the assessment. I mean, like, yeah, the acting is amazing. It is The script was was tight and all there and it, and it works and it's a believable world. And something about, uh, to me, fire in my heart, which I'm going to let John explain in a second, but before he even does, to me, it's like, Every It's like what I want every sitcom In the world to actually be like If that I, makes any sense
1: When I tell you dear reader That there was a There's a version that exists Entirely the way it is now it Takes all the sound effects, all the music, everything But no laugh track uh, It exists I have it
0: <laughs> We uh, listen to it
1: <laughs> And it is unbelievably dark Yeah um, it's like the it, it, office if Jim never looked into the camera.
0: Yeah, it, it actually it it the reason laugh track became a requirement is it is without it it was very difficult to tell if we were kidding or not. it yeah. was like if we were going for the funny or if this was well, and they something else.
1: And credit to both of our actors in that again, they delivered it stone cold. Oh, my in God, the best so way, good. but like not in not in like like, oh, like, there was no life to the read. There was plenty of life to it. It was just, they acted it out like it was not comedy.
3: comedy.
0: Which, which is the figure. All right, you know what? Wait, we have to, wait, Josh, yep, we have to Don, let John explain Don, yeah, sorry. <laughs> context. God damn it. No <laughs> uh,
3: so, Fire in My Heart takes place um, in May of 20... What was it? 2019? No.
0: Yes. No, 2018, Six, wasn't
3: it? Twenty. 2019. 20, 20. 2018. When was the? When was the? Oh shit! I'll to that. the Google machine. Yep. Yeah, we're gonna have to look that up. But anyway, it takes place in France during the uh, fire at Notre Dame, uh, and it is the honeymoon of Harry and Oliver, and um, terrible secrets. 2019.
0: Are... Yep. 2019. It was 2019.
3: So uh, yeah, terrible secrets are revealed, uh, including <laughs> that um, you know. Oh, now I can't remember which one. Harry finds out that Oliver yeah. burned Notre Dame. Yep. Um, among other things.
0: Among, yes. Among, <laughs> that's just such the tip of the iceberg. Listen, I just remember. Perfect.
1: I just remember, I think I told you guys this, but I don't know if all of you guys know this. I have a photo I can send to you guys eventually. Uh, there's a hostage scene in the middle. Or not a hostage, just a, a guy tied up scene, right? so straight
0: out of straight out of uh reservoir dogs
1: (laughs) yeah basically and so i had to you know i had to record the sound effects for that as one does so what what did you do i took my dining room chair put it in my garage uh shut the door took everything out and then just like made a bunch of struggling sounds and moved the chair around and did that in between those takes of making all those struggling and torture sounds with like the guy screaming blaring in my ears as i was recording these sounds um my friend was texting me about what I wanted to do when we hung out that night for dinner plans. And I would just text her back and be like, oh yeah, tacos sound great. And then mm, 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 uh, like, yeah. what awesome. do you do on a Tuesday?
0: Awesome.
1: <laughs> uh, which is just hysterical. So now when you go back and listen to it, because everybody's heard this once, if you go back and listen to it again, just imagine that's in between the takes So just like, I can totally pick up margarita mix. It's not a big deal.
2: I can go for some
1: tacos. <laughs> yeah.
2: But I think I think this is I think Fire in My Heart is a, a tremendous sort of uh, compliment to Josh and Kel the work you do on these series because to your point without that laugh track it's a very different tone it's a very different episode without that sound design without the without the pacing of the dialogue and how you've edited it together. Um, it it really changes everything it doesn't it doesn't have the same effect i don't know that it works without it and that's not a knock on your writing john it's just no. it requires it requires post production
1: there are to requirements really to it like, and anything else i mean and, it's the same thing of like you know, our next episode twisting you have to have the twister to sell the story
0: right, right but but to to that point and thank first of all thank you matthew that was a very kind thing to say um i would say this that if 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 we had taken that script and done it as a short film or on stage, I don't think it would require that because the visual elements indicate the humor. You can see people's reactions, right? You can see their facial expressions. You can see double takes the whole nine yards. But when you don't have that element and it's just the audio and they played it and we told them to to play it for real. Um, and not just our two actors, Jay and uh, Michael, but also Heidi and um, Mateo, Mateo uh, as, as the kids grown up for the family scene. Once we explained sort of that this was dark comedy, there, I remember in particular their second take. Because again, this was one that we did two takes on. Their second take across the board, everybody leaned into the humor of it. And so the actors also, like to their credit, they, they had a sense of the vibe of this thing. But I remember, Josh, you sent it to me recorded without the, and I listened to it. And I remember calling yeah. you and saying, and I knew we didn't have a lot of time. And I was like, we have to put a laugh track in this.
1: Yeah. We and laugh tracks take it. time. I was like, oh, I was dreading it because laugh well, tracks take time. And I was like, oh, what? no. And, and John, you were totally right.
2: John, well, kudos to you because you had originally envisioned a laugh track when you were yes. in the script. Yes, it wasn't wasn't my yeah. idea.
0: This, was, this, this came from John initially, and I remember calling you up, John, and going, hey, are you still cool with the laugh track? And we had to, like, you wanted to set, like, where we put those in. Like, I remember we had to send yeah. a script back and forth of yeah. where we were thinking we would put those in to punctuate those moments. Um, and just one other thought, and I'll shut up about it, but that it's surprisingly hard to find a laugh track. Yeah. Uh yeah, jo- Josh had to work hard wow. to build/find slash laughter cuz they, they don't exist. Well,
1: they like, they, they do exist. The hear. problem is they are well, they are copyright protected just right. to so, the episodes that they belong to or they exist in a sound library that is so prohibitively expensive. Luckily, I was able to locate a handful, but it's also hard because like <laughs>
0: One fell off the back of a truck. And- well, we had some of them. Some of them we had to jig like to, to play with too, because certain the way the the style of the laugh didn't work with the, right. Like, I there there are the different of, yeah. kinds
1: of laughter which really yeah. just fucks up your vibe. Yeah, Um man. If you're if you're a person working in post, variation is the thing that sells it, and it is the death of you.
2: There was the what well, is think- the I think it's very interesting in, in contrasting this with the episode before it of the season, right? I think that's what makes it another really fascinating journey for our year where we talk about survivors as basically was fully formed out of the computer. As soon as John turned it in and here you have a different type of challenge and it's, it's far more involved in terms of the design elements to it and, and, um, and right. compositions and mm-hmm. even vocal performances have to be handled in a very, very different manner because absurdist comedy, to your point, Kelly, is much easier to convey physically. Right. Um, but just using sound, it, it's a really, it, it's maybe the hardest tone to try and convey and do it well um, in terms of an audio drama. Oh. That's, that's a It's a to everyone it's i a, just it's a remember this process oh,
1: sorry. yeah sorry sorry matthew um i just remembered a thing i didn't tell any of you guys that i did to this episode and the listeners oh. can now hear a thing that i mess with i sound designed this like a wes anderson movie how yeah. a wes anderson movie is shot is how the design of this episode works so the symmetry and how things move is a big one and how everything oh, slates into place
0: Okay, I didn't yeah. I didn't realize you did that. That's there's a, really
1: There's a couple of tricks where that doesn't happen cuz I couldn't get away with it. But it right. was the inspiration of how like I saw a lot of this where it's like flat plane shots with lots of depth through it that and the shot does not move. Yes.
0: Yes, that's actually that's exactly the way that would be filmed. Too. Um yeah.
1: and like the hotel room scene at the beginning, it was the only way I could envision it working was when it was shot like I always think of things in terms of camera angles when I move things around in our soundscape like that's just i'm i think of these visually um like everybody's like it's a movie for your ears and i'm the only person who like canonically sees the movie i get that um but like that's how i envision and for this one it was very similar there's a symmetry of like when um when harry goes to the bathroom and oliver goes to the door to answer it they move at the same time they stop in different points right but there's a symmetry to the motion that expands, but the TV's still in the middle, like playing the newscast in the back. Right.
0: Um, you're, talk- you're talking the first scene, the first scene.
1: Yeah. yeah and yeah, then, yeah, yeah. and then when they do like, once the food comes in, the guy moves <laughs> over that, that scene stays the same. He brings the food in, he comes across and he passes in front of you and sets it on the table to your left. And then he leaves and, you know, shenanigans ensue um but then when the door shuts the door shuts and flips you so it's another flat plane shot at the table um right, right. which is I, the yeah. only way i could get that scene to work in my head before i even made it like usually i listen when i dialogue edit all of these i listen back to it a whole bunch and i just envision the sound design before i do it like i spend all that time planning like when a sound designer who is not a dialogue editor gets it, they just listen back to it a bunch of times. I am lucky that when
0: I dialogue edit it, I
1: two birds one down. You're don't.
0: also doing the sound design, so it, it, yeah.
1: And so I can fly through the sound design, but that it, neither here nor there. Um, and then when I'm sound designing, I'm composing. So I'm like one step ahead of myself. Um, but yeah, really, that was the only I'm way really I
2: curious, could- am curious, because you mentioned Wes Anderson was, was a real influence on this. Kel, when you were- when you were approaching this episode, did you have any sitcoms or directors or, or anything like that that you sort of leaned on as sort of inspiration for you? Or uh,
0: you know, it's funny. I, I I wasn't aware of it actually in the way that that y'all are. But when 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 you ask that, Matthew, I realized it in my head. And this is no reflection on the writing. This is not commentary. This is just the show i thought of was married with children um very I absolute absolute sitcom yeah. world like like an identifiable recognizable like the set is instantly you know it's a set in a in a studio it's not a real house they're shooting in the whole nine yards and the, the thing that like i mean i don't i didn't watch a ton of married with children but the stuff that i watched the thing i enjoyed about married with children is that is that they went ahead and 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 set you up for the obvious sitcom feel and then turn it on its head with the behavior the dialogue the you know the expectations get upset and I think that's why I went that way with this is because again on the surface we could have done fire in my heart as like a a gritty sort of you know heart, heartful, dramatic piece that had like some serious issues. But what to me, it was first, foremost, and always was an ironic and absurdist darkly comic piece. Now, part of that is because John assured me that that's what it was, but, um, <laughs> but no, really it is. Look. But, but I mean, because of that, that is where my head went. And so I, I didn't, it's funny now that you say it, Josh, Similarly, when I would go through and read it, I was seeing in my head. I, I, I remember very viscerally what the warehouse looks like. Right when he when, when he surprises him with the guy in the chair. Right. I remember the whole like what the approach looked like, how big the room was, what yeah. the lighting of it was, and none of that comes across. You know what I mean? Like it's not like you and I ever talked about. Like we talked about how big it was, sure. how much reverb there'd have to be. Yeah, but we didn't talk about like there's not much light. You know, it's almost right. like there's like a couple of spots where the light is pouring in and that's where the guy is sitting and my, know, I mean, my like- question
1: is, Kelly, uh so we've we've never discussed this. I think it will be fun to see how our movie minds went. Is yours the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark? But they pushed a crate to the side? And now there's a guy sitting in that spot where that crate was? <laughs> because that's not, how it's
0: done. Not- not far off. I'm going to be honest. Not far off. It's not. It would not have that much stuff in it. Mine is completely empty. Right. But it's the same principle. You that know, was, was
1: mine. Mine was basically like end of like Raiders of the Ark. Raiders uh, of the Lost Ark. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. 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 Yeah. All right. We should. We should move. We should move off. Speaking this of one as speaking well,
1: of things that are super possible. realistic and events that happened in this world, uh, vampires and tornadoes.
0: Twisting, which is uh, which is one of the most interesting pieces that we did because it it raises the question of what is a monster in a really really both obvious and subtle way at the same time. Like like Matthew is the author of this, and I'll give him the floor to explain. But let me just say that it raises that question and it shows you an obvious choice and if you are listening at all if you're paying any attention it, you are forced to consider the question of what the hell a monster actually is
1: this um, is easily um, my number 2 like if i said survivors is my number this was in contention for being number 1 this, this, i this this was, love this matthew, one
0: matthew tell us all about twisting sir
2: so twisting uh twisting was like the red headed stepchild for me in this entire <laughs> season um boy did i just have to beat this one into shape like you wouldn't believe but uh, no, so twisting uh, twisting is a horror piece, um, and it is yeah. about monsters, and it is set during the uh, April two thousand eleven uh, cyclone outbreak in the uh, South. Um, specifically, I set this one in Alabama, Alabama, and I, Alabama, I,
0: Louisiana, and Mississippi, right? And Mississippi. It, that, that yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And and I, there were there was something like almost two hundred tornadoes in twenty four hours that ripped yeah. through that whole alley. Um, has not been topped since, but boy, they're gonna try. Um, so, I, I knew I wanted to tell one. I I'd never written a horror piece that that was a this was a brand new genre for me as a writer, which was really exciting. And it it was originally about a family and how they were going to try and survive the night, uh, survive a particular twister hitting very close to their home in the south. Uh, one, I love writing. Southern dialects. Um, and, and this one really gave me a chance to play with dialect uh, as a writer, which is always lovely. And then um, as I was going through, I could not figure out the actual conflict within the family. But during the time of writing this, uh, there were some things happening in the world, um, including a lot of immigration issues uh, on the Southern border. There were issues with them, um, People's status as being, uh, having COVID or not having COVID. Yeah. Very close to to sort of the beginning of, of the outbreaks. And so all of that was just sort of sitting up. And and in my head, as a la- sort of last ditch effort to save the story and figure out a story, I said, well, this is about vampires. We're going to have a family of vampires who are boarding, who are in a boarding house in the South, And it's, it's about classism. And it's about, uh, it's about how people are treated who are different than your community. Uh, Because there was a lot of racial unrest as well going on at the time that I was writing this. So it became this series about a pair of of mothers and their daughters who come from very different backgrounds, um, who are just trying to find ways to survive. And then it really becomes a question of who is the monster, the other, or the people who lay a uh, tag of someone being the other onto them. Um, and that's really where, where the sort of inspiration came from. Um, and it's real messed up. It's, it's actually a pretty screwed up uh, piece. I, I took a lot of like True Blood and Tennessee Williams, those were two, basically my two, and Twilight Zone. Those are my my real, like, inspirations yeah. and influences on,
1: on I will tell you, like, my I was inspired to do, like, some of our Twilight Zone-inspired stuff from reading this episode. Like, and I really appreciate it, because we had talked about, like, in pre-production, we had talked about our departure into the supernatural, because it's all something we wanted to do. Um, And I loved the way that this did the send-off. This thing did a lot of firsts in the series, which I thought was really cool in that I, and it wasn't necessarily because we wrote a lot of these, not with the order in mind. It's just, this one gets the honor of be having the firsts of like, it's the first time, like a supernatural fake entity is actually introduced. Um, But it's also the not, it's not, it's the first time we really get large group scenes. In here. So, like, even in George wrote which was difficult because of the way the rooms flipped, those were mm-hmm. still two small scenes side by side. This is the first time you get four actors all going at once. At one point, they are all going at once. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah and it's the sure. first time yeah. we get, like,
1: yeah, that, large staging.
0: Yeah. It, it is certainly, you're right, it, it was the demarcation line of where we moved from things based in the world that were that were not necessarily true but could be true, right? George Ezra could have gone that way, Survivors absolutely could have gone that way, even Fire in My Heart, in theory, could have gone that way, but once we got to twisting and we introduced the element of vampires, it was like, all right, so now we are... So now we are no longer grounded in just the mundane we're into I wouldn't call it. It's not fantasy. It's not magic. Like it's re- felt, felt more like magical realism to me than, than fantasy. Um,
1: and most importantly, this is the only, this is the first episode to me. This is the most important first that this episode does. This is the first time that the event is directly in front of the listener. Um, like, in George right. Azaro, Lincoln is killed off screen. Right. Um, in, you can't necessarily have the AIDS epidemic as a whole directly in front of you. <laughs> um, I
0: mean, well, you can, but that's just a tidal wave. Like, that's just um, no, Yeah. No, like, mean, you know. Like,
1: um, unless you do like a zoom out into space and be like, look at all of this. Yeah, that doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. And then in Fire in My Heart, I mean, Notre Dame's just burned on TV. This is the first time, and the rest of the episodes all. Um, with the exception of Love in the Time of Hitler, which is in the middle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of these episodes have the event happen directly on the listener. Like with this, the tornado d- passes directly over and Earth will quake. The earthquake directly happens in oh, common Jesus. area. Even, uh, the common shooting
0: area, it's, it's just below. Yeah, you can hear it in the distance.
1: Well, yeah, you can hear it. So like it is there for the listener. So this is the first time we've actually had the event palpable
3: and, and
2: there's there's a reason why it was placed here you know in terms of our running order uh our episode order like right. we, you know for for the listeners involved you know the these were not just oh here's our next idea and we're going to put it out to to your point josh like we right. had the majority of all these scripts written ahead of right. time and I mean, the yeah. idea was was to sort of show this sort of journey of tone for the season where it, it feels like it gradually become the possibilities for the worlds we were building can become more fantastical, you know, as we go on and on and on. Um, and, and this was really the, de- to your point, Cal, this was purposefully this demarcation point in terms of that. Right. Uh, yeah.
1: This is um, top
2: off an expansion. Yeah.
1: my I, exactly.
2: It's an expansion. I love that. Yeah.
1: The thing that I did, this was in my, in terms of first where the event comes over, I wrote a musical theme for each event that happens. It's the same theme. Right. They never present themselves in the first three. That theme was written, never shows up in the first two, which was fine. I, oh. I knew that was going to happen. It's this whole burner, burner, like thing. And it happens right when the tornado passes over, right when the earthquake happens, right when Hitler's born, and then right when, um, the shooting right at the end of the shooting. So at the after event in common area, common that area. whole thing at the end, when the characters are talking is the full theme, the only time it's ever presented in the whole series as a actual tune. Um, and it was cool. Matthew, you really scared me with this one. Not like scared, like emotionally, no, uh, sure. professionally scared me because I had had this conversation. Kelly and I had a long conversation about this. I did not want to turn um bridget's character getting flung away into the wizard of oz um and you are that
0: we we talked about that for an hour and you are logistics of that
1: and with that like those those people who know like there are there are cuts of it like i have saved project versions of this you are one violin lick away from it being like,
0: I'll get you, my... <laughs> like,
1: I've said it a thousand <laughs> times over in all of these interviews, but the difference between horror and comedy is the scoring. Yep. And so, yeah. like, you've... Ri- and with this, where the tone is not ambiguous at all, up until this one moment where it's all relied on me. Like, there's there's no... The writing says the tornado passes over. There's no... Like, it's all in the sound design and this. So it's like, it's all on me to pick the tone for this. But how do you, if you cannot see the person, this is a question I have to, I go through regularly in all of the audio drama stuff. When you cannot see the person or the event, how do you portray what happens? Because it would be really easy to scare the shit out of you and make it really dramatic if you could see her flying away. And it was brutal. But- you know, you can make a really gnarly sound effect, but you will also not necessarily denote that as a person flying away. And like the easiest way to have a person flying away is slapstick, put a slide whistle underneath it. And you can tell sure. that would have gone real well. Well, um, what,
0: we, what we played with was her yelling because she's beating on the door and saying, let me in and then yelling no. And I remember we played with her no being drawn being, out as she was being pulled away. But then the problem is, is that it, if it went too long it sounded funny right so it had it like there's a duration quality to it that actually comes
1: what it back. what it ended up being there were there's lots of versions of this scene the scene is one of the the few in the whole series that has a lot of versions to it i think it's the only one that has like more than 3 versions to it but when we like she's knocking on the door um and then the only way I could denote that she flew away was her to stop knocking and then to blast the wind and the theme. That was the only way I could do it and to make the theme as imposing as possible. And like, if you listen really carefully, there's like a, as she like flies Mm -hmm. away, but that's, that was inconsequential really to the moment when you bring in every French horn known to man, um, to make your moment epic. Um, as I scream other, horns in the back, just from when the I used to do things.
0: The other challenge of the piece, though, besides that, and that was not a small thing, was dealing with the actors' accents. <laughs> yes,
2: we did. We had quite a quite a journey with the actors' yeah, accents we on this did.
0: one. Yeah, we did. Um,
2: so it was it was one of those things. And this all came up at the table read more than anything else because yeah. we at the table read originally all four actors are written with the same. Alabama, you know, dialect. And then um, what we ended up doing is that for the vampire characters, since they aren't local, you know, and they've been around a really long time, we asked the actors what accents they were comfortable doing, you know, and and what dialects. And so they gave me a list uh, of different accents. And from there, I, I picked out of, you know, the buckets that they gave me and just sort of went to town and rewrote all of their dialog specifically for those accents, which was a new challenge in, in a lot of ways for me as a writer. But I, I hope it came out pretty well. But it was fun. Uh,
0: it, it did, and I mean, like Lynn Lynn acknowledged that because like, she wanted to go with like the 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 Long Island, yeah, new yeah. Jersey she wanted to go like full accent. Staten Island on it. Yeah, Staten yep. Island. Yeah, and then. And then Heidi doing that vaguely European. Slavic. I'm not sure where it's from. Slavic, mostly, uh, but but she's also supposed to be how old? Like two hundred and something years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, so a,
2: she's been around. and, yeah, and so she's. she's I, I I basically made Heidi my great grandmother.
0: That's essentially the accent I came up with for excellent. Her. And then uh, and then Tracy and uh, Tracy and Bridget. We're both just Alabama because they were the ones yeah. that were from there. So they were about both right. Alabama. And, um,
2: so they got yeah, the Meemaw I, and Peepaw, you know. Yes. Kind of. yeah, Meemaw,
0: Peepaw. yeah, Meemaw and Peepaw. Yeah. Um,
1: the only thing I can think about before we as we move on to the the next episode, uh, the final thing for your connectivity within the, the, the Cruelest Month universe, uh, the ending of the ending of Twisting, the song at the end that plays in the back is the B-side to the song that I wrote for George Azeroth.
2: I thought it sounded familiar.
1: Yeah. It's not the, okay. it's the, it's the, so I wrote a whole song and then I never used the B because of the way the things had to switch and I modified it a little bit for this. Um, and I, I, I had, a, I had a good banjo and I just played, played it on a ban- and it, uh, and, uh, yeah, I just played it I on banjo, a banjo. in the back. It, it is surprisingly heartbreaking. Like that theme, like it really, like, I was shocked well, that it worked. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it's the only on the time banjo, where
0: which is saying something.
1: It's the only time successfully, I think I've heard a, I've heard an audio drama that I've worked on. What I wanted to do was like, she's sitting at the window at the end, and like staring out the window, and then you come out the window, and then you just like zoom the camera zooms out into the sky, and just like it turned it like fades blue like the sky, and then the credits start playing. And I feel like that's the effect that happened there. And that's the only time I've ever been able to get that effect to work. Um, because it's just like well. it has such a hokey, like I wanted it to have this really weird, like hokey Oklahoma style ending where like for your horror movie, like endings to horror movies are weird. You know what I mean?
2: Well, usually that it's one of the reasons I feel like horror movies tend to end with a very sudden cut to blood yeah, like, they, at a certain they, point. Right. I like, guess. Yeah, we're not going to end this. We're so we, gonna, I had to do like a fade out abruptly. Yeah. yeah. And you would, um, yeah, you would do what the equivalent of a fade out. On, yeah. On
1: this one. I, I do it from this time is, to time, but it really worked in this one. Cause I feel like you're being like pulled up. Like that was what I was trying to get with is like, you're just getting pulled up and away from the whole thing.
2: Yeah. It's a very Gothic kind of ending.
1: Thanks for listening to part one of our 2021 retrospective. You can listen to part two next week. You can find us on all social media at the cruelest month podcast, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. Thanks for listening.